Welcome to the Magic and Alchemy podcast, where we talk about witchcraft, setting intentions, forgotten folklore, and mythology. Created by Tamed Wild, Magic and Alchemy is a collection of stories, rituals, and articles crafted by a variety of creators and writers, including myself, Kristen Lizenby, and my co-host, Kate Ballou. Hello and welcome back to the Magic and Alchemy podcast. I'm Kate Ballou. And I'm Kristen Lizenby. What do we have for our listener question today, Kate? Yes. So today, Nat, the spiritual newbie, wrote in and asked, how do you respectfully work with deities that are of cultures different than your own? Great question. What do you think, Kristen? I'm so happy we had someone write in asking this, even though it can be such a tricky question to answer and my thoughts are constantly evolving. But I think it's important to remember that gods, goddesses, deities are personifications of energy. So instead of saying, can I work with this deity, even if it exists outside of my ancestral lineage, um, especially if that thought makes you uncomfortable, Instead, ask yourself, what energy does this goddess represent? And what doorways to this energy exist in my day-to-day life, um, in books and stories, and perhaps in my familial roots? Mythology and characters also exist in the stars, so astrology is another way we can connect with these archetypal energies once we decide which ones are calling for our attention. And I also feel like at the end of the day, you are a smart, intuitive being. And if a deity does not want you working with them for any reason, they will let you know. Um, I definitely think knowledge is power. And the more we learn about the workings and beliefs that exist outside of our own, you know, beyond our bubble and current life experiences, and then consider how they relate to and intersect with ours, I think that's really beautiful and necessary on a soul level and also part of the journey of being human. Um, Kate, what are your thoughts? Well, I just want to say I love all of those thoughts and ideas and just tying on to that same thread. Yeah, like so many deities are tied to energies that just are a part of the human experience. So if you're interested, for example, in dark mother energy, there may very well be a goddess who represents that energy um, in a different pantheon just waiting for you to connect with her. Mm-hmm. It's really beautiful. But I'd also just like to say that I think it's super important to be respectful of closed practices, you know, just acknowledging colonialism and as a white woman, and which of European descent so much of the world is accessible to me so I need to be conscious and respectful of what is not open to me and and why that is so mm-hmm. on the other side of this I think honoring and learning about other cultures and experiences is just so important so if you're interested in that um, you know hit the library spend some time reading I think that that is just 
such a beautiful form of magic and honoring, you know, you can take a class that's open to anyone and support those teachers who are facilitating these workshops. And if it's available to you, travel, you know, visit sacred spaces that are open to tourism. I think there's just so many different ways to celebrate different lineages. Just make sure to be respectful of all boundaries and asks from those cultural groups that you're not a part of. Very well said. So what is on our agenda today? Today we are talking about signs of spring. There will be some moon folklore, some symbolism, and some thoughts on peering into this next season magically. So let's get into it. Ostara is a season of rebirth and renewal. Always near or around March 21st, this day goes by many names, however Wiccans and pagans have gifted it Ostara. From the Germanic goddess Astara, Iastra, or Easter, the name etymologically gestures towards words like estrus and estrum, beckoning toward and calling forward fertility. Aligned with the moon, the chalice is a symbol of fertility. The chalice is deeply connected to water, to life-giving, and as a vessel for creation, referring to what some witches might call the feminine principle. The ancient Roman calyx was a drinking vessel consisting of a bowl fixed atop a stand and was in common use at banquets. Found in the ritual of the Last Supper as the Holy Grail and communion as participants drink the blood of Christ, the chalice can be found outside of solely Christian ritual, weaving its way through pagan and witchcraft traditions. The chalice is used in altar building, representative of the element of water, and by Wiccans in the Great Rite, which is a ceremony in which an athame is plunged into a chalice symbolically. The sacred container is a place of brewing potions and of offering, passing around a liquid for the coven to sip on herbs and magical mixtures crafted with intention. In the Odyssey, Circe can be found with her chalice as the iconic sorceress, turning men into pigs, offering this divine cup of poison. And in the spring, the chalice can be worked with as a womb-like symbol, allowing each magical practitioner to create sympathetic magic, calling forward life. In J.E. Surlott's A Dictionary of Symbols, it says that the chalice, related to the Holy Grail, frequently takes the form of two halves of a sphere placed back to back. This way, the lower part of the sphere becomes a receptacle open to the spiritual forces, while the upper part closes over the earth, which it duplicates symbolically. It also says that the chalice has a certain affinity with the Celtic symbolism of the cauldron. And this makes me think of Caridwen, of course, the crone of Wales, who knows the recipe to brew Awen, a mixture of poetic inspiration and all of the magic and blessings you could ever desire in her famous cauldron. And this all feels very reminiscent of what you just mentioned, Kate, that the chalice, um, or in this case, the cauldron, is a life-giving vessel for creation and symbolizes fertility. Because in the story of Talia Sin, after Caridwen eats the servant boy Gwian Bach for accidentally ingesting her newly brewed Awen, she ends up pregnant and gives birth to Talia Sin, the divine poet. 
Yes, I love this story. And I think that the cauldron is just such a perfect example of this symbol and as a sign for spring. And, you know, what goes inside of the sacred chalice or the cauldron, but a brew or a liquid of some kind. And as we spoke about in our last episode, waters and the ocean with their rhythmic tides are associated with spring, but beyond that, the rain. As they say, April showers bring May flowers, but the rains during Ostara and the spring equinox are believed to be imbued with magical properties. Placing a chalice or goblet under the rain to collect this special water, or even standing in a rain shower, can be a beautiful way to connect with water. The water collected can be used for scrying, in baths, for cleansing rituals, or placed on an altar to call forward the water element, the West, memories, and emotions. Yeah, I know we talked about purification a little bit in our Astara Sacred Waters episode, but I don't think we mentioned rain as an avenue for this rite. Um, In stories and mythology, water is often seen as a symbol and a tool for purification, perhaps because in a literal sense, our ancestors collected rainwater for bathing and cooking, um, etc. And also water begets life, um, new life many times, but also symbolically because rain falls from the heavens and cosmos, which means it is associated with light and the spiritual influences of the upper realms descending onto ours. Yes, and for more water and cleansing, definitely check out that episode, listeners. We reference a few aspects of Daily Magic by Judica Isles with some additional ideas for spring rituals. And in researching this episode for today, I couldn't help but think about how the moon shows up astrologically, especially during this moment of astrological new year. And we've had so much astrological conversation this spring, and some still forthcoming that we are so excited to share with you listeners. But for just a little bit of Astrology 101, I'd love to talk for a moment about the moon sign. In astrology, we call the moon sign a part of the big three, the sun, the rising or ascendant, and the moon sign is a key placement in the birth chart. The moon is known for its relationship to the emotional body, for our impulses and what drives us or compels us forward, but also how to care for ourselves, to embrace cyclicality, and to relate to compassion. If you haven't listened to our episode with Juliana McCarthy of Ethereal Culture yet, definitely check that out for a deeper dive into your birth chart. In The Luminaries, The Psychology of the Sun and Moon in the Horoscope, Liz Green writes, quote, Because we all have the moon in the horoscope, all of us are capable of experiencing the world and ourselves through the moon's eye. Some of us get stuck there and cannot look beyond our immediate personal circumstances. Equally, some of us don't look sufficiently at the cyclical nature of reality, and consequently cannot cope very well with ordinary life, because we are addicted to eternity and have forgotten how to trust the instincts and work intelligently with time. I love that sentiment, experiencing the world and ourselves through the moon's eye, um, and also just experiencing time or our relationship to time through that lens. Same. It's so beautiful. And she also says, quote, the moon was associated in medieval times with the goddess Fortuna, whom some of you will recognize in the card of the Wheel of Fortune. 
Whenever we reach a peak moment in life, a full moon moment when things are coming to fruition, we can be sure that there is a past that has led to this moment. A hidden beginning when the seed was sown at the dark of the moon and a time of promise and development when the moon was in its crescent phase. And we can also be sure there's a future when decay sets in and the cycle must come to an inevitable end because nothing in mortal life remains the same. Then as the moon wanes and the moment passes, we look back to the past when things seemed so full of promise. When we view life through the eye of the moon, there is always a looking back to the past, and the feeling of the body growing older reflects this looking back to the youth of the crescent moon with its unlived potentials. We can always remember a time when we had more energy and fewer wrinkles, even if we are only 20. Once upon a time, in childhood, the body was young and unfinished. Once upon a time... One was naive and innocent and open because experiences intruded like the serpent in the garden and shaped one's perception and value. So you can see there's a deep poignancy and melancholy attached to the moon. The moon sings in a minor key because everything passes, end quote. So in the season of spring, during death and rebirth, I think it just might be such a potent time to connect with your moon sign using your birth time, location, and place. And there are many free places to pull a birth chart and then look for the crescent denoting your moon sign and what house the moon sheds its soft glow inside. To look at your life and the lives of others through the moon is to view life cyclically, remembering both full and new phases and all of the moments in between, to reflect on the magic that nothing lasts forever. The signs of spring, now here, someday gone, again. Yeah, the signs of spring are definitely here now, like you said, and all of this conversation makes me think about shape-shifting and how our cosmic lantern, the moon, is a shapeshifter, and how the goddesses who embody the moon's spirit are also shapeshifters, perhaps teaching us, like you said, that nothing in the mortal realm remains static. You know, cycles of growth and decay are how we evolve and endure. You also mentioned Fortuna, who is so special and is believed to bring about all sorts of luck and good fortune. And I have to mention you know, for like the millionth time, some of our other favorite moon goddesses like Hecate, who may not appear to be associated with spring, but it's with Hecate's torch and guidance that Kor reemerges from the underworld as Persephone in the form of flowering fields and warmth. With Hecate's guidance, Persephone casts away her mother's curses in the eternal winter Demeter has created in her absence. In addition to Fortuna, Hecate, Persephone, there is also the Titan Selene, another personification of the moon, and also the Olympian who would eventually take over Selene's realm, Artemis. In some stories, the moon's rays are sacred and are said to be arrows sent by Artemis herself. From an article on Greek moon lore from the University of Illinois Press and the American Folklore Society, it says, quote, that the ancients were in the habit of hunting at night, especially by moonlight. The moon is often seen tearing near mountain peaks. Its rays were compared to the arrows or lances of the hunter. The celestial dog Sirius was considered the hunter dog of Artemis, end quote. 
In our Winter Crossroads Creative Coven, Kate and I held a discussion about Artemis, and for one of our rituals, we wrote a message to the Greek moon goddess. Then, through dance or song, ritual or visualization, we used our bows, um, metaphorical bows crafted by our words, and sent those spells to the moon, where Artemis was waiting to receive them. We did this when the moon was waning crescent, and even though the new moon is more aligned with spring, it still felt extra special because in stories, the crescent shape represents Artemis's eternal maidenhood and is said to resemble the shape of her sacred bow. I love thinking about the moon as a bow, and there's just so much moon folklore to explore as different portals into this archetype. I love it. I know, and they're everywhere. I saw, I don't want to say it was a meme. It was just like this adorable quote the other day that said something along the lines of, can I just sit on the edge of a crescent moon at least once in my life? And I was like, yes, please. It was definitely a part of my welcome to Pisces season mood board. I also, I saw it and I was like, I love this and please. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to Kate's mood boards. Um, They're amazing. (laughs) Yeah, it just, you know, it really made me think about spring and maidenhood, Artemis, uh, lunar goddesses, and witches who long to sit perched on the moon because they understand that the moon is a sanctuary, you know, a sanctuary for memories and magic and mystery. And I think that stories are a beautiful place where we can see this. And one that I really love is the Japanese fairy tale, The Bamboo Cutter and the Moon Princess. And in the story, a bamboo cutter and his wife pray for a child. And shortly after are gifted a beautiful daughter, a thumb-sized moon princess. Although the girl came to them as a child, from the first day they met, she began teaching her parents the ways of the plants. They became wealthy and successful, and soon the moon princess is full grown, and her beautiful glow is enough to make the emperor fall in love with her. But the curious maiden has no interest in marrying, and it's only when her parents grow old that she admits she gets her lovely complexion from the cosmos. And sadly, she must return to her lunar palace. She tells her parents that her time on Earth, although it was the greatest gift to them, was actually her punishment, and for what she never says. The moon goddess eventually leaves her adopted parents and returns to the moon, but tells them to keep speaking to the night skies, for she will intercept their prayers. The full retelling of this tale is on the Tamed Wild blog if anyone wants to read it in full, but I just love how the moon is seen as a place of peace. You know, it's mysterious, of course, but according to this story, if we ever end up there, we'll be safe. And then also in the Chinese folktale, Chang'e flies to the moon, um, which I gave a retelling of in episode 53, the moon is where Chang'e builds a home out of cinnamon bark and moonlight after accidentally or perhaps strategically ingesting the elixir of immortality. She chooses to create a sanctuary on the moon instead of making a home in the upper uh, distant realms with the rest of the gods and immortals because she loves her earthbound husband so much and wants to be able to gaze upon his face every night before she falls asleep. In this story, the moon is our heroine's saving grace. It anchors her to the earth and to her lover, and in turn becomes a sanctuary for the soul caught in between. 
In the book I mentioned earlier, A Dictionary of Symbols, when speaking about the crescent moon, a symbol of spring, it says that there is a dual significance to this symbol. Insofar as it pertains to the moon, it stands for the world of changing forms or phenomena, for the passive feminine principle, and for things aquatic, um, which kind of ties back into our conversation about the chalice and cauldron. It also says that in some belief systems, the crescent moon is associated with a star and is symbolic of paradise. I think as we enter a new season, spring, that many of us feel like we are shape-shifting alongside the moon. We are packing away our winter clothes, pulling out our warm weather wardrobes, showing more skin, uh, maybe wearing less black, maybe not, <laughs> and embracing the version of ourselves that is going to be present during this next cycle or two. And like we said earlier, nothing in our world or the cosmos remains static, and a new season is evidence of that. So as we reflect on the signs of spring re-emerging in our corners of the world, may we use our cauldrons to water these seeds of change. May we use Artemis's crescent-shaped bow to steady our gaze, and may the moon, our lunar lantern, be our partner through each transformation, reimagining, and our internal unfoldings. Thank you so much for joining us today on Magic and Alchemy, a podcast from Tamed Wild. Again, we're Kate Ballou and Kristen Lozenby. You can find us online at K8Ballou and at East and Alchemy. Send us all of your questions, comments, or just say hello via email at podcast at tamedwild.com. You can view all the amazing offerings from Tamed Wild on their Instagram at tamedwild or on the blog tamedwild.com. Join us for next week's episode for another magical conversation. Just a reminder that magic and alchemy are always available to those who know where to look for it. So mode it be or something better. Until next time. <laughs>